Good morning, Doxa. <laughs> Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and also the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 21 through 33. And I will read straight through. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were raising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This is our third and last week in our series on praying kingdom prayers. Uh, uh, my apologies on the second scripture there. I realized I did not get that scripture to Tyson for him to know, to put that in the presentation. So I hope you guys were able to follow along fair enough. Uh, here's what I'm praying that the Spirit will do and will have been doing in us through this series. That what I'm praying is that the Holy Spirit would alter our desires. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would alter our desires and that because he alters our desires, he would then revolutionize our prayer lives. That, that's what I pray. Uh, no, that's a big prayer, but that's what I pray the Lord would do in this series. It's bigger than three weeks. It's bigger than my ability to communicate something to you. What I'm banking on 
in this series. It's not my eloquence or my ability to even my own talent to open the words to you, but the Holy Spirit does something more than what I am able to do through this. I'm praying that he would alter our desires and revolutionize our prayer lives because here's what I know about most Christians is that most Christians rarely pray at all. Uh, This is not a guilt thing, just stick with me. Most Christians rarely pray at all and most rarely pray with any real passion and any real purpose. And I think that's because, honestly, I, I think it's because very few Christians believe that their prayers actually have any real effect. That's what I think. And that we say, like, I prayed so many times for so many things, and I have so seldom seen an answer. Isn't that true for most of us? If you've been a Christian for a while, I prayed for so many things, so many times, and I rarely see an answer. And isn't he, isn't God just going to do what he's going to do? regardless of whether I pray or not, because obviously that's what's going to happen because I pray these specific prayers and I don't see anything happen. And so therefore he must just decide, hey, you can pray all that you like. Maybe it'll make you feel better, but I'm just going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So have fun praying, but I'm just going to be up here and do everything I want to do. And what happens from that is our prayers become perfunctory. That means like, they just like, I have to do, I have to pray. So I, I'm going to, when I think about it, when I'm disciplined enough, when I think about it in the car or at this point, at this point, man, I'm going to throw up a prayer and because I know that I should. They, perfun- they become perfunctory and they become seldom or rare. And they become kind of wishy-washy. God, if it's your will, do this. But if it's not your will, that's okay. And we finish and like, what did we even pray? Did we pray anything? God, do this. Uh, if it's your will, maybe, maybe not. I don't really know. You're going to do whatever you want to do. I'm not sure this is doing anything. So kind of whatever. We just kind of mumble off at the end of our prayers. Amen. When in contrast, the promises that are made to us in the Bible about prayer are staggering. This is not about our experience. This is about what the Bible says about prayer. The promises that the Bible makes about prayer are staggering. Just think about, we could go from one into the other. We don't have time for that. Just think of two things that Jesus said. Jesus himself said. This isn't a prophet. This isn't Paul. This is coming out of, if you believe, the Lord and Savior himself, the second person the Godhead, become man. This is what he says about our prayer in Mark eleven twenty four. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it'll be yours. And then he says in John 14, 14, if you ask me anything, ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. That's not a half-baked promise, by the way. That is two full-throated promises from the Lord and Savior himself. So that leads us in this sort of weird space, right? Uh, Most of us have heard these promises about prayer, but we've experienced something very different when we've prayed. So what happens is we don't really want to think about the implications. Jesus said, ask me whatever in my name, I'll do it. If you ask anything and you believe that you've received it, it'll be yours. 
But I've prayed all these things, and it doesn't seem like anything's happened. And so therefore, what I have to believe, if I really think about it, and I don't want to think about the implications, but what I really have to come to is either the Bible doesn't really mean what it says about prayer. Jesus doesn't really mean what he says about prayer, and it's way more complicated and nuanced, like one of those contracts that you sign online that you never read that has all the small print. And because you click the button, like they can follow everything that you do online because we didn't read the whole thing. So God must have a lot, of, a lot of fine print in there. He doesn't really mean exactly what he says. Or it's just not true. It has to be one of those, it seems. If I'm asking, he said to ask, and it's not coming true, then either there's a lot of things, nuances I'm missing here, or it seems It's just not true, and I don't want to think about that. And so that creates doubt in our hearts and our heads. And that doubt kind of hangs over us when we pray. So we don't really know what to believe about prayer. We don't really know what to believe about God, for that matter. Isn't that true about your experience in prayer? You don't have to nod your head. I know a lot of you guys... I think that's true for most of us in prayer. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, you probably, about wonder, you probably wonder about this as well. You, you probably think like, hey, I'm here at church because I really want to know, is God, the God of the Bible, is he real? Is this Christianity thing real? And does praying to him actually accomplish or change anything? I just want to address you before we move on, because it's going to feel like a lot of what I'm saying this morning is to believers, though it will be to you as well if you listen with an open heart. But I just want to address this to you, if that's you here this morning, and I'm so glad you're here, because I'm praying for you even right now as I speak, and I have been praying for you, and here's what I'm praying for you, that he would show himself to you. I'm praying that that you would leave here today knowing that God is real and that you would have experienced his presence and you would have heard his word and you would know that's true. And here's what my, I'll just say to you this morning, ask him right now to show you if he's real. And I promise you this, if you honestly ask him that, that is a prayer he will answer and I believe he'll answer it before we even finish this service. Now that brings us to why we've been doing the series. Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe about prayer. Either all of this Christianity thing is not true. One of those is either all of this Christianity thing is not true, or we must be approaching God incorrectly in prayer if we're not seeing him answer. Because he made crazy big promises. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about fine print things here. I'm talking about we must be missing something big about God and about prayer if we think we've been praying and we don't see an answer. And it's not just like, hey, God's answers are not yet, though it is, or, or no, but sometimes they are. But it's like we must be missing something if we are constantly racked with doubt of whether this prayer thing is act- actually works. And I want to tell you this. God did not take on flesh, die and rise again in order to leave us, his believers and his church, as a powerless people. 
He has called us, this is the wording used in the New Testament, he's called us a kingdom of priests. That means a kingdom, a royal group of people who are placed in the position between God and the society that we live in. In other words, he is appointed for all believers to be world changers in one way or the other. He's not called every believer to have a worldwide effect, but he has called every believer to affect the world that's around us in some way. That's what he's called us to do as believers. Nothing less than that. I want you to hear that. This is the, maybe the big underlying score of this whole sermon. I want you to hear that. He's called us to be world changers and nothing less than that. If you're to keep notes, just write that across the whole page and underline it and highlight it and turn the page and come back and put that on your refrigerator or on your bathroom mirror. He's called us to be world changers and nothing less than that. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want to imagine you praying. It might not happen very often, but I want you to imagine you praying in whatever way you like to pray, however you like to pray. I'm a walker. I, I, I don't like to walk outside, but I, I just cut a, like, I cut a space in my office, kind of this kind of small little semicircle back and forth. If I'm home alone, I circle the house. If I'm in the office alone, I'm kind of up and back and down the hallway. I, I, I'm a pacer. I like to pray. When I'm, imagine whatever your thing is. It might be in a closet. It might be driving. It might be in a, on your knees. It might be by your bed, whatever. Imagine whenever and however you like to pray, and you pray in those places, and families, neighborhoods, school campuses, cities, nations, world events, and even generations to come are altered because of what you did there. I want you to imagine that, because that's what Jesus is talking about in this prayer. Imagine your prayer, imagine our collective prayers as a congregation, imagine them changing the world. That's what God has for us. It's the business that we should be about. But most of us spend the limited time that we pray on self-focused prayers, on prayers for our daily bread. And hey, we're supposed to pray for such things. Later on in this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he instructs us to pray for such things. He tells us to, he wants us to, he encourages and urges us and commands us to pray for those things. But the Lord's Prayer begins with a request for our Father in heaven to make his name hallowed. To cause his name to be honored and respected and worshiped above everything else. And then it comes with a request for him to cause his kingdom to come. Not mine, not yours, his kingdom to come, for his rule to expand and for his will to be done by others, yes, but also by me, maybe especially by me. See, here's what's true about prayer. True prayer, the kind of prayer that Jesus urges us to pray with confidence that he will ask or answer anything that we ask, that he will give us anything that we ask in his name, true prayer starts with God. True prayer starts with his desires, his plans, his mission, his glory because of this. Because for the Christian, 
for the Christian, life begins and ends with God and his glory. For the Christian, life begins and ends with God and his glory and not ours. That's what, at your very soul, the core of who you're being, who you, of your being, if you're a Christian, the very core of your being, you know what it rejoices at? Does it rejoice at a promotion at work, though you can celebrate that? Does it, the core of your being where the spirit indwells you, does, does it rejoice that your bills are paid? Does it rejoice that you have food to put on the table? Does it rejoice, maybe rejoice in all those things, but what is the core thing it rejoices in? The core thing it rejoices in is the thing that will count a million years from now, and that is God and his glory and his name. That's what it rejoices in. We exist by him and through him and for him. The greatest delight of the child of God is for God to receive the glory, the honor, and the praise that he deserves. That's what moves the needle for a person who's indwelt by the Spirit of God. My question is, is that true for you? Does your life, does your existence Does it begin and end with him? Is his kingdom and his will in this world your greatest passion? You should think about that. Is his kingdom and his will for this world your greatest passion? Is that what you passionately seek him for in prayer? Those are important questions. Not so that you'll feel guilty or about what you're doing or not doing. They're important because they're a health check. A health check. It's a health check to say, like, this is the natural state for the Christian. But here's also what happens to us. We live in this world that is fallen and broken, and we are fallen and broken. We have two natures, as we talked about last week. And what happens is, Wrong beliefs about God creep into us as believers where we doubt his goodness, we doubt his power, we doubt his existence, we doubt his love for us, we doubt our assurance in him. And they come in and they darken our faith and they dampen our love for him. And because of that, we, we're filled with doubt. We're really not, uh, we're going to be racked with cares about protecting ourselves and making sure that we're okay and not really looking out for his glory and his kingdom. And when we pray, not full of confidence and faith that he's actually going to answer them. Wrong beliefs about ourselves creep into into our minds and hearts. We, We wonder about how God really feels about us and how he thinks about us, and that brings in doubt. And then we don't approach God with faith and confidence because we're not sure where we really stand with him. And on top of all that, these creeping vines come in the cares of the world to come in and choke the very life of God inside us. To be more preoccupied, more focused on, have bigger eyes for the things of this world rather than him and his kingdom that is coming, has come, and will come in the future. And the questions, these questions about like, what, what do you do you really care about? Is that your greatest passion is his kingdom? Do you really seek for that in passionate prayer? Those questions can help us examine ourselves and say, have those things happened to me? Have the cares of this world, have wrong beliefs about God or myself, wrong self-talk, have those things crept into my heart and mind and caused me to be distracted from the thing that God said 
I should most care about. And in my soul, the very core of my being, I most care about as a believer. And then we can cry. If we can see, yes, that has happened, then we can cry out to God to help us so we can get back to joining him in his great mission. And that's what this last phrase that we're looking at today in this section shows us. As it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Because that phrase, that the end there, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then it adds as it is in heaven. You know what that does? It expands us where the proper scope of our prayers should be and what the mission of our lives is and should be. Pray then like this, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. How? Like in an unnoticeable way, in a way that we ask prayers and we don't ever really know if we see an answer to them? No, on earth as it is in heaven. That makes those prayers about your kingdom and your will, which are already pretty big, it expands them and says it's probably big, it's probably wider than we think. On earth as it is in heaven, that's the scope of God's mission. This world is fallen, it is broken, it is full of sin, it is full of death, it is, has evil on every side around us, it's full of betrayal and rebellion and debauchery and immorality even though it was created good by God. Ever since the fall, civilizations and every single man and woman has been in that darkened state. And that's where Jesus comes in. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, became a human being. He fulfilled God's law. He suffered. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. Then he sent his spirit to renew and indwell those people that believe in him, beginning his new creation work in the hearts and minds of normal fallen people. Hey, if you are here and you're a believer today, and God's spirit indwells you. That's what it means to be a believer, by the way. Not just to believe something with your head, that God's spirit indwells you. If that is true, then you are a walking piece of God's new creation walking around in the middle of this dark world. You are the beginning of the new creation. It has dawned inside you. And then he promised that he would return again to renew the whole earth, to unite heaven with earth, and to make all that is wrong right again, and even to dry every tear. And you know what he does with us as believers? He sends us, his new, spirit-born, new creation-filled believers, to carry the message of that message of who he is and what he has done and is doing to those around us in darkness. To be, as we are called, ministers of reconciliation, ministers of the new creation, if you will. Here's what he's called us to be, a manifestation of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of darkness. Like a city on a hill surrounded by darkness 
to be a demonstration of his will. What does it look like to live in and obey God's will? To be a demonstration of his will in this world, even when the people around us don't like us, hate us, and don't understand us. That's what we're praying about when we pray on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying this, we're praying, yes, Lord, we know and believe that you're going to bring your kingdom fully when you return again. We know and believe that you'll make this earth a new creation. But we're praying, number one, that you'll bring that day speedily. Bring it speedily. Bring it quickly. Even so, Lord, come. And not only that, we're praying that you would help us to exhibit that new kingdom clearly and powerfully to those who are lost still in darkness. That's what we're praying. Lord, bring it quickly, the full kingdom, quickly and speedily, but also help us to hear and now demonstrate and display that kingdom, what it's like to live in your rule and reign, in your power and in your presence, clearly and powerfully to those who are still around us stuck in darkness. You see, not everybody is going to believe, but here's what they need. They need a clear explanation of the gospel so they can understand and they need a clear demonstration of the gospel that they can see. They need a clear explanation of the gospel that they can understand, and they need a clear demonstration of the gospel that they can see. And that, my friend, is what the church is supposed to be. Have you ever wondered, why does the church exist? I've wondered that a few times, usually when we're like tearing down after church and I'm tired and hungry and I'm like, hey, why does this church exist? Why does your church, why does the church exist? Why does God keep us around here as believers? Like, wouldn't he just like, I'm going to get you out of there. Wouldn't that, here's what kind of, wouldn't that demonstrate who he is even more powerfully, you might think? Like, if somebody just became a believer and they just, was suddenly like lifted up to heaven. Somebody might say, hey, this God thing must be real. But God has chosen not to demonstrate that his kingdom and his name is real and great by taking us up to heaven, but by bringing heaven down to this earth in our lives and in the church. That's what he's called us to do. That's why. We are called as the church, not individually, but collectively, because this cannot happen on your own. He's called us collectively as the church, as this church, as the church, to be a living manifestation and demonstration of his kingdom and his will on earth as it is in heaven. But what is the distinguishing characteristic of God's kingdom and God's will in heaven? You know what it is? Here's what we see in heaven when we see God's will and we see the angels who are there. We see in heaven God's will and his kingdom are done. They're obeyed readily or quickly and completely. Readily and completely. The angels are described as God's ministers. It's described as those who attend to his will and they're described as waiting on him just waiting on him, just give me some sign what your will is. Give me some word, give me some inclination, and boom, they are off 
readily, quickly, and to do completely what God's will is, and they find great joy and peace in that without question or without determination. That's what the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven looks like. It's whenever we more and more begin to reflect that kind of nature and character. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do to demonstrate your kingdom and your name here on earth? Because I know that the God who is within me is greater than he who is in this world. I know that you are bringing your kingdom and you want to display your will, your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Just let me know. Give me some sign what it is, just some inclination, and boom, I'm off to do it. I'm off to do it readily, and I'm off to do it completely, no matter whether I think it's going to cost me. I'm not going to determine. I'm not going to weigh it. I'm not going to go up and down. I'm not going to falter. That's where we're going to. It doesn't happen that way. We fits and starts because we're, we're still following human beings, but that's where we're trying to go. Is where more and more we look like that. I want this phrase that Jesus teaches us to use, on earth as it is in heaven, I want it to challenge us. I wanted to challenge you. What is the scope of your expectations of God in the church? What's the scope of your expectations of God in the church? What's the scope of your prayer? Is it this big? On earth as it is in heaven? Is it this crucial? God, the world around us has got to see that you are mighty and powerful and gracious and loving. They've got to see that you are true and real and worthy of praise. Is it on earth as it is in heaven? You see, this kind of, these kind of requests, this kind of prayer, comes from a clear-eyed view in two directions. One is a clear-eyed view when we look around and we see the state of the world around us, when we see the state of our families and the state of our neighbors and our coworkers and friends and the schools and businesses and our culture at large and the state of the nations, when we see the, the pressure and push of the, of the darkness around us, we see our, our own state in the state of the church we see our lethargy, when we see our worldliness, when we see our powerlessness, we look around and we see darkness pressing in. That's one direction. A clear-eyed view to say, yeah, this is what is really happening. But also a clear-eyed direction that sees the power and promises of God for the church in Jesus Christ and lays claim to both. And the pressure of both of those things, the tension between those things. God, you see everything out here, but yet I see these promises from you. It creates this tension and this pressure, and that pressure, that tension, pushes us to pray. It propels us to call out to God. We see an example of that in the second text that Carolyn read for us. This is the very beginning of the early church. It's an ax. The church has barely gotten off the ground Pentecost has exploded and thousands come in and people are being added to the church daily, but this is what happens. The rulers who thought they had gotten rid of this Jesus thing see that it's actually growing more and it's growing faster after his death. And one day, Peter and John are walking by into the temple and they walk by this gate and this man who was in his 40s who had been lame from birth, he's laying there and he asked them for some money and 
All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he gets up and he walks and he leaps and he praises God. And they gather around the crowd that are around. They gather around and wonder, like, what is going on? We've seen this guy for days and weeks and years sitting here. I've walked by him dozens of times as I go into the temple. He's lame. He's poor. He's, I thought he would always be here. I thought one day I walked by and he might be dead here. And I walked by today and he's not only not dead, but he's standing up. And he's not only standing up, but he's walking. He's not only walking, he is leaping. And not only is he doing that, but he's praising God as he does it. He's giving God glory. He says, God has healed me and made me whole. And they say, what's going on? And Peter and John stand up and they say, hey, it's not by our power this has happened, but the name of Jesus that you condemn to death. And they share the gospel. You know what happens? By over 5,000 people come to Christ that day because of the kingdom of God breaking into the kingdom of darkness. A demonstration and a manifestation of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the authorities they're threatened by this, and they have them arrested. We are fed up with this, but they, they want to punish them more. They want to do all kinds of things to them, but they're afraid of the people. They don't have the, they're not sure what's going to happen, so they just threaten them. They say, if you preach any more in the name of Jesus, we will put all our power against you. And here's the thing. They had all the power, at least as we deem earthly things. This is a moment. This fledgling baby church is threatened. Its very existence is threatened in this moment. These authorities hold all the cards. They have all the political and religious power. They have all the economic power. They have the military power. And what if, you have to think the leaders are thinking this as they're walking back. No matter how much confidence they have in God, they have to be thinking, God, what if we get back and we tell these new believers that didn't walk with you for three years, what if we get back and we tell them they said we can't preach anymore in his name or they're going to put all that power against us? What if they get scared? What if they get scared for themselves or their families and they turn back? What if they decide it's too much? You know what they did? When the apostles get back and they share with the church, You know what the church does? The church looks with a clear eye at everything around. God, you see. You see their threats. You see their power. But even before they even say that, they say, but we also know that these are the same people that only, that even in their evil desires, they only were accomplishing your will, for you are the sovereign Lord. You see the threats. You see their power. You see we have no political power, no economic power, no military power, no influence. We bring nothing to the table. This is a mismatch of the greatest proportion. If they desire in earthly terms to snuff us out, they can do it quickly and easily, no problem. But, oh, that word, but. But. 
we also know what you've promised us. We also know what Jesus Christ came to do. We also know the mission that you put before us. And instead of saying, God, keep us safe, keep us healthy, give us political power to to confront them, give us religious power to confront them, give us economic power to confront them, you know what they say? They say, give us more of what got us in trouble. Give us boldness. You know what he does? He says, that's a prayer I can answer. That's a prayer I delight in answering. I delight in so much, I'm going to show you how much I delight in it. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you again. These are many of the same people who had been there on Pentecost, by the way. You can go and think about that on your own. He says, on here, whenever you're up against it, I delight so much in this prayer. I'm going to pour my spirit out upon you again and anew. And I'm going to show you an encouragement to show you that I am with you. And I'm going to shake the place that you're in. You know what happens after that? They didn't go out and say, like, make t-shirts. Like, I was in the building that was shaken. Let's start a building-shaking ministry. Wasn't that cool when that happened? Let's stand build an altar here for the, the time this building was shaken. You know what they did? They went out of there and they proclaimed the name of Jesus, the thing that they were told not to do. They proclaimed him boldly, more boldly than before. And you know what, you know what they also asked him to do? They're talking about scope of heaven on earth. They say, not only would you give us boldness, but grant signs and miracles Hey, so that we could prove ourselves is right. So that your name would be lifted up. They don't pray for their safety. It might be that we die in the middle of this. It might be that we give our lives for this. It might be that they come and take our property and our careers and our jobs. They might threaten us. Our neighbors, our own family members might turn against us. But you are more precious than life. Grant us boldness. And you, because this is, God, it is your problem. You grant signs and wonders also so that we can have teachers to say, hey, signs and wonders happened? No, so that Jesus would be lifted up. Do what you have to do, Lord, so that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you look at clear eyes at our city, in our country, in our culture, in our church? Do you see the darkness pressing in? Do you also see the promises of God to us in Christ? Do you hear Jesus calling us and telling us to pray like this? Do you see the example from the early church? Do you see the faith of this church in Acts? Their prayer isn't based upon their circumstances. Their faith isn't based upon their position of strength. The object of their prayer is God, his sovereign power and his sovereign plan and his mission of redemption in the world. This is a prayer about God causing, God causing his kingdom to come, not us. God causing his will to be done and doing it on earth as it is in heaven. They say, God, you have placed us in this difficult place, in this difficult time. You've heard these threats from the authorities. We are uneducated and common men. They even said that about us. We have no power or wealth or influence, yet, Lord, you hold the position of power. 
Give us boldness. And grant us signs and miracles. You know what happens? He pours out his spirit. They go forth with boldness. More people, more and more people come to faith. And not only that, but the very nature of the church, it remarks, it says they, they didn't count anything as their own. There was no one who had need in their midst. The people around them held them in, they marveled at the nature of the people of God. Bring us to a close here. Just a little aside, by the way, on, on that scripture. Um, No one among them counted what they had as their own. Because of that, no one had need. I was made aware this morning of um, a couple guys in our midst. They need money this month to have a room to stay in. They need $500. And I'm not going to cajole you guys in anything. I'm just going to put that need out there. If the Lord moves upon your heart that we reflect, this normally goes to the care team. Care team, I just want to do this this morning. This is not the way we're going to normally do things. If the Lord's moving upon your heart, you'd like to help with that? If you have cash on your, you can drop it on the table and wait when you come by for communion. Most of us don't have cash. If you would like to give something else, you can talk to Dale. He doesn't even know I was going to, you can talk to Dale today and he'll help make sure that these guys get what they need so they have a place to stay this month. This is my big point. The kind of prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a prayer for God himself to come and do something. It's a pledge on our part to be a part of that no matter the cost. And it's a prayer saying, God, would you pour out your spirit upon us like this church at Acts? Would you give us boldness? Would you grant signs and miracles and whatever that looks like and whatever that needs to be in our day and time in Myrtle Beach and in Conway and Horry County to display your kingdom come, your will be done. We're not putting any expectations upon you except, God, make it so clear that your kingdom is coming and your will is being done in our midst. That'll be unmistakable. Cause it to actually be in the church on earth as it is in heaven. And close with these quick promises from God. Jesus said this in Acts 1, 7, and 8. He said this to them, it's not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see how they're banking on this promise whenever they pray on this day? That's the same Holy Spirit, by the way, that empowered Jesus' own ministry. Luke 4.14, and Jesus returned and the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out throughout the whole surrounding country. Jesus said this in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father.
Here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Enlarge your expectations of God. Enlarge your imagination and prayer. And enlarge your idea of what God can and wants to do in our midst. He loves us. He came for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. And he's coming again for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, he will, not, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Will you make his kingdom and will on earth as it is in heaven the great goal of your life? What ways do you think he wants to bring on earth as it is in heaven through your life? What is he calling you to do? How is he calling you to pray? What is he calling you to give up in order to be on mission with him? Do all you have to do to follow him today. Readily and completely. And let's pledge ourselves to pray and obey so that his kingdom comes and his will is done in Myrtle Beach and in Conway and in India and in Plymouth, Massachusetts and in Nepal and in your high school and at Coastal in South Carolina, in our generation, as it is in heaven. Make it true, Lord. Lord, make it true. That's my only prayer for you this morning. Make it true. For Jesus' sake. Amen.